Blog Talk Radio. Hello there. Tonight's episode of Ready to Unload with Cal and Sam Pete, number 191, is brought to you by the new web series, Dummy. Dummy is a new web series written, directed, and starring our buddy Joe Dallow, and it also stars Izzy Diaz. Go to YouTube.com and search Dummy the Web Series to check out this new show. Episode 3 should be coming out any day now. Joe is working on it, but Episodes 1 and 2 are up there, and they're funny, and they're great. So go check out what Sammy and Donnie, the two characters in Dummy, are doing. Okay, now for Ready to Unload with Count Sam Pete, number 191. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Hold the phone. Hey, brother. This is serious. Welcome to Ready to Unload with Cal and Sampete, number 191. Coming to you live from Comac, New York, Rio, New Jersey, and Bayside, Long Island, New York, Queens. I'm Ready to Unload with Cal and Sampete. Hi. Son of a beasting. I, you didn't, I was muted. We will totally fix that in post. Completely. We're not, there's no post. What are you talking about? Yeah, we're going to bring it right back to Lucasfilm. Welcome to Ready to Unload with Cal and Sam Pete. Hi! We have a huge, big show. Large. So thank you for joining us for the next hour or two. Yeah. Ready to Unload. Cal and Sam Pete. New York Sports Talk Podcast. Nice. Okay. Hi. Welcome to the program. I am one of your hosts, Steve San Pietro, a.k.a. Sam Pete. This is episode number 191. 91. That's a lot. This is 100 and Paul Phrase. If you're playing at home. Nobody knows who Paul Fraser is. He was a defensive lineman for the Jets. Nobody knows that. Nobody knows it. I could have said Scott Mercero. In fact, in three episodes, I can say Scott Mercero. But I won't. Until three episodes from now. Number 94. Hi. Welcome to the program. Um, We're going to talk New York sports. We have a huge show. And uh, we're going to be joined by Dom Cosentino, uh, the Jets beat reporter for uh, NJ Advanced Media, also known as NJ.com. He has been uh, the beat guy for the Jets. We had him on uh, for our draft show, which was fantastic. Don was great. He's going to take a couple minutes tonight to talk to us about the Jets, to talk to us about the NFL, which is going to hell in a handbasket uh, quickly. So it's going to Montana. And uh, also his time at Deadspin, uh, which Deadspin has become a very 
intriguing entity to me and to Cal. So we're going to ask him a little bit about that and how they fit into the, you know, the sports media landscape right now, especially with everything that's going on uh, with the NFL. As every story, I said this the other day, the games on Sunday will be a nice three-hour respite, as at least we know the players can't abuse anybody but each other. So that's I'm looking forward to the games on Sunday because for three hours I know a football player won't be beating up somebody he's not supposed to be beating up. Anyway, so Dom's going to join us in a couple of minutes. Right now, you guys, I don't know who I'm addressing. You guys, stupid. Mr. Brian Calneva Calpino Caliente. Hi, Brian. Cal. Hi, Steve. Hi, friend. Time to bring the co-host of the show in. Brought to you by Liberty Mutual. And by State Farm. And by Mutual of Omaha. And American Eagle. (laughs) The more and more I listen to that intro music from last week, Peach, you you debuted that uh, fanfare for the cow. Uh, last week, the more it does sound like CBS, like the Masters, <laughs> Jim Nance, like, we are back in picturesque Augusta with Brian Calvi. Hi, Brian. Hi. What's up, buddy? Not much. How are you doing? You, not, look, you look harried. You know, not much and a whole lot. <laughs> You've already told me that tonight's not the night. Tonight is not the night. I don't know what that means. You just threw it out there in like a general. I, you know, it's it's just a, it's just a, a warning. <laughs> Listen, buddy. Tonight's not the night. All right. The last nerve comments. Let's right. that out. Right. I'm on, I'm on my last nerve. I I have ordered more nerves. They are in the mail. They are not getting here quickly enough. But um, that's all right because here it is. It's ten o'clock. It's Thursday night. We're here to talk sports. We get to see each other for the first time in a week. Yes. It's fun. Let me ask you. We all just let it go. Is Saturday night all right? It's all right, but it's not like Thursday night. Is Saturday all night for fighting? All right for fighting. It is. We've been told that. By Elton John. By Elton John. Not a guy you, you know, really widely considered a pugilist. Although, when you stop and think about the great prize fights of our generation... Go on. They, tip, they typically took place on a Saturday night. That's right. With right? Elton John. With Elton, Elton John, I'm sure he's at many of them. Reginald Dwight involved in some way, shape, or form. Couldn't, can we please put him in a boxing ring, but like Elton John circa 78, with the glasses, the big star sunglasses, and like... And the feather boas. Yeah. Just <laughs> 78. Who do you want to put him up against? John Denver? Oh boy! Oh boy! Wow! May he rest in peace. Please, please. come on now. I'm not taking his name in vain no, at all. No, you didn't. You definitely. No, I'm, didn't. I'm simply thinking of, of of polar opposites from that from that time. Share. Can we put Elton him in John the versus Share? Can we put him in the ring versus Meatloaf? Meatloaf would work. Peter Frampton. <laughs> I feel like Frampton's slight. I feel like I would actually watch that fight. Frampton and John. Like. <laughs> I was there for Frampton and John, <laughs> live at Wembley. <laughs> I feel like Elton John would have a shot against Peter Frampton. 
the tango in Fandango. <laughs> you could switch that too. Whatever you want to do. The Fandango and Tango. It could right. be it could be either one if Elton John's involved. <laughs> I no. love I and I say this with great respect for Elton John. Of course. Saturday night's all right. But Thursday night's all right too, and we got a lot to talk about tonight. We do. Well done. Way to steer the ship back on course, Captain. <laughs> Look let's at get, you. Let's get wow. back on track here. I didn't know. I I should have suspected as much when you were wearing a suit to do the show tonight. I, I, you are all business. I believe I told you tonight's not the night. <laughs> it's not the night. Saturday night's the night. Right for fighting. All right. I was a little suspicious. You're wearing you're wearing a three piece suit. I am. I am. You're clean shaven. You are all business. What's with the briefcase? I put a little splash of cologne on. A dab. I don't normally do that. Yeah. There's right. definitely uh, there's definitely an air of business about you. Right. Yeah, you lo- you look good. Close the briefcase though, because it's distracting. Yeah, well, that's where my materials are. So I, I understand. You're gonna have to deal with that. I'm sorry. All business. Okay. A lot to talk about. There is. We should bring in the bishop. The third man in. Here he comes. We should bring in uh, uh, Bishop Big Donut, the the big guy, the uh, the big cheese. Numero uno. Ah. Now he's got his own it. Can you feel it? Yes. Hi, Bish. Hey, what's up, man? DJ. The more, uh... How's everybody doing? Mr. Cow. Okay. okay. Take it easy. <laughs> All right. All right. Hey, Charles walking in. Yeah, go easy, Satchmo. <laughs> I don't know... You understand everything. So that's a a cut of a song called Yosemite, Cal, that PJ wrote, I think, somewhere in 1989, somewhere in that range. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, every uh, player on that, every musician on that is not, uh, is white. So it's really, it's really fake blues. Uh, So really, PJ, don't, don't come in here with that attitude. I was there when we recorded that. I was there. Yeah, it was it was more Clapton and less uh, muddy waters. <laughs> Hi, buddy. Hi, everybody. So I can't uh, give Cal a hard time tonight. Is that what's going on? She I can't would happen. Not. I would not. Yeah. You did it. Tonight is not the night. You see the suit. Tonight is not the night. He's all business. Do you see the graph and the chart that he just took out? Yes, and I noticed the pinky ring, which has not always been there. Don't know what it's for. It's important. The pinky ring. There'll be plenty of time. I'm intimidated. Have fun later. But right now, well, this is business. It's business yeah. time. It's almost as if we had a whole other segment called the fun load, where you could just have fun. If only we had. That's where you loosen the tie. Will you be changing for the fun load? Of course. Well, that's you know, I've got a whole other outfit for that. Is that he's got a Spider-Man costume for that. Is that where you take the tie off and wrap it around your head and go Hawaiian shirt? Right. Go get a fishbowl, not a fishbowl. Uh, lampshade. Lampshade. Thank you. Fishbowl. What am I doing with the fishbowl? Don't, don't try a fishbowl. It's what's very dangerous. What's going on with the fishbowl at the party? Why am I? Nothing. Yeah. Nothing says uh, businessman cutting loose than if he comes out dressed like Spuds McKenzie. <laughs> Hawaiian shirt, neon sunglasses. Tie around your head. Time to have fun. Spuds McKenzie. Think about Spuds McKenzie as an advertising 
as an advertising marketing tool. They had a dog dressed up in all these on a surfboard, a partying dog that sold Budweiser to people. Like you, that's just basically it. Basically, means you can do anything and advertise for 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 alcohol. You can do anything. I think that was literally the ad execs or the the marketing people at Budweiser being like, "Let's try this." I mean, let's put a dog in like a Hawaiian shirt on a surfboard, and people will <laughs> people will buy beer. People will still buy beer. Right. People aren't buying beer right now, so let's do this to get them to buy more beer. I mean, that's an idea that was probably reached at like a sweat lodge where people were like deprived of vital minerals and nutrients. <laughs> they were severely dehydrated and right. perhaps hallucinating, and then suddenly. Dog on a surfboard. <laughs> that was, they that, probably thought they saw that. That was the. Uh, <laughs> that Let's was. With it. That was the uh, the weekend retreat for the ad agency that involved the. Uh, the, the the spa and steam room. That was just creative, though. Business wasn't at that one. Yeah, no, business wasn't at that one. Business doesn't care. They don't care. They're like, L- listen, you guys can take a dog and put him in a Hawaiian shirt, and the beer will sell. I'm not worried about it. I'll sell whatever you need me to sell. I won't sell it to all of that you want. Just sketch it up. Why did you just turn into Paul McCartney and let it be right there? Talking to George Harrison. I'll sell whatever you want me to sell. won't sell it anything at all if that's what you want. Whatever it is to please you is what I'll do. Sorry. That's all right. I can't let that pass. That's one of the tougher moments on film to watch. In my opinion. It's the breaking up of a band. Anyway. Uh, Peach, let's let's do this promotion. Speaking of bands, and then we'll bring Dom Cons- uh, Cosentino in. Okay, Can sure. And play the music. I'm gonna hit the button. Hold on. Uh, the button Let the music away. play. On. He won't get away. He won't Just, get away. I'm sorry. That's not the music. I, that's, that's, wow. Boy, did it get very Russian here. Okay. So we have another. Uh, thing we want to plug tonight and this is actually a really good cause wow I'm going to lower that a little bit it's just <laughs> it's like it's like Alex Lifeson just landed on my computer yeah okay. oh wow he just went straight through our heads sorry Alex please please Alex please <laughs> I, have a, I have a baby sleeping in the house please uh, he this will is, fight you Alex Lifeson <laughs> will, will throw down so watch what you say this is for uh, a really good cause. This is Rock for the Cure on Saturday, September 20th at 9 p.m. at Harding's Hummingbirds and uh, Mug Shops. And that's 3785 Victory Boulevard. Uh, there's going to be this great concert featuring some great music. It's a $10 cover, and 100% of the proceeds are going to benefit LLS. That's the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. So it's uh, Rock for the Cure, and it is featuring. You ready for this? Hold on to your... Hold on now. After Image, a Rush cover band that our buddy Brian Stevens is the drummer for. Uh, on the Rocks, I can only guess maybe a Neil Diamond cover band. I wish probably it. not. <laughs> and then the greatest, and then the greatest band name ever, OBGY Kenobi. That's right. Uh. They don't even need to play music; they can just go out there. Just they just come them. out and bow. <laughs> exactly. 
so uh, seriously, if you're in the Staten Island, New York, in the tri-state area, really, uh, this Saturday night, September 20th at 9 p.m., Hardens, Hummingbirds, and Mugshots. Not sure who thought of that <laughs> name for a bar. Rolls off the tongue. Yeah, really. Just, and I can't even imagine saying it drunk. Where are we meeting tonight? Hardens, Hummingbirds, and Mugshots. Uh, where are you? I can't. I don't. I can't even. Know. Where should we meet? Hard as a bird of mud shot. Uh, Thirty-seven eighty-five Victory Boulevard. Again, one hundred percent of the proceeds from the ten-dollar cover at the door will benefit the Leukemia Lymph- and Lymphoma Society. So, if you're around Saturday night, go see this. And our buddy Brian is playing in a Rush cover band. Seriously, a Rush cover band, and they're really good. And they play all the obscure Rush because you need that. Everybody needs a little obscure Rush in their life. There is unrest in the forest. There is trouble with the trees. Okay, so we did that. Now, uh, Peach, uh, let's see if we can get Dom in here to talk about the Jets, the NFL. Uh, Let's set the scene here, uh, Cal. Jumping into the screen room. Thank you. Cal, let's set the scene here a little bit on really what is – what has just continued to be an unbelievably tumultuous week for the NFL uh, for its public image. They really seem to be running scared a bit uh, at this point. Roger Goodell is not out in front. The Minnesota Vikings made 800 mistakes in the span of 72 hours or 96 hours or whatever. Um, All of this sort of overshadowing what was an awful, awful Jets loss. I mean, awful. Uh, that we're going to talk to Dom about uh, in specific. I know you watched the game DVR'd, as did I. So before we bring in Dom, did that that change the way I viewed that game? Totally. It if always I, does. Yeah, if I had been watching that live, I would have been far more crushed. Far more. Right. But I was watching it DVR'd, even though I didn't know the score, when it was 21-3... Uh, there was still panic at the disco. Mm-hmm. I still I still did not feel comfortable. I turned to Teresa. I said, she saw the score, and she's like, oh, they're doing great. And I'm like, they're going to lose this game. Really? I, I did. I, I never felt comfortable, even up 21 to 3. I didn't, because there's just too much time. There was just too much time. Even when they had the ball driving towards the end of the first half? You know, I felt, obviously, I said it because I'm a pessimist, and I'm a ridiculous pessimist. And that's why my wife dismissed me immediately. Um, and she did it in one of those like really dramatic sitcommy ways. Oh, you're crazy! And the laugh track went off, right. and then she went back and a lot of hooting and hollering. Yeah, she went back inside and fed the kids. Um, but I didn't. I, I just never had the confidence that they were definitively going to win that game. So I'm exaggerating a bit when I said that. Right. And see, I felt the way they started that game. They they had they played a great first twenty five minutes yeah of the game and when uh, Geno Smith threw that interception late in the second quarter and then they proceeded to give up a ninety seven yard touchdown drive right. before the half that's when it all went downhill and they were winning at the time but that's when I that's when my confidence was shot right this is a good time to bring Dom in because I really have a very specific question about. That's been the uh, a very. There's been three popular topics for that Jet game. One is obviously the timeout that was or wasn't called. Another one was the interception and the Jets going for it there. Um, and then of course there's the uh, the 12 men on the field as well. 
Uh, or I, I should say, Mo Wilkerson getting ejected. There was a lot going on in this game. Let's bring in uh, Dom. Let's bring in Dom Cosentino. Uh, he writes for uh, New Jersey Advanced Media, which you can find on NJ. Wow, good job, Peach. Nice needle drop there. Straight Scorsese. Um, but he, you can find that on NJ.com. Uh, he's been with us before. Dom, uh, thanks so much for taking a couple minutes uh, tonight to hang out with us, and welcome to uh, Ready to Unload. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. Uh, really, really glad to be on with you guys. Actually, so you, you sound like a you sound like a Jet fan, just with the, the pessimism, <laughs> even at twenty-one-three. Uh, just you know, my my short time on the beat, and even you know, I've lived in New York now for a few years. I, you know, I, 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 I I'd venture to guess that not many Jets fans felt comfortable even ahead twenty-one-three in the second quarter. No, we we to- and I pride myself. I think Cal does as well. Uh, on not being uh, same old Jet fans, you know, not doing the SOJ thing. I, we both are sort of optimistic Jet fans as they come, but there's that you know when you're watching a football game and you know when you're watching mm-hmm. your team. You've been watching them forever. There's an there's a an an unease in your stomach because you've seen this movie a hundred times. And exactly. You just, exactly. You're just not sure. So let me let me uh, let us jump right into specifics, Dom. Um, okay. One of the more interesting conversations this week to me, guys, has been, and I had this argument with Jet fans at work and stuff, Cal, and we talked about it a little bit. Um, the idea of the Jets after that onside kick, up twenty-one to six, twenty-one to nine, um, and right before the two-minute warning, going into the half, the Jets get the onside kick. They were ready for it. You know, the Packers coach even said it was like they were in our huddle. They they were surprised that the Jets were ready for it, which was a good bit of coaching by Rex, which he didn't really get kind of get credit for. But um, and they feel that onside kick. Salas returns it a little bit. They're marching first and ten, twenty five yard line uh, or, or twenty seven yard line, and they take a shot. And Geno takes a shot. So now the conversation has been. You got to play for three there. You can't, you know, you got to be conservative. You can't give the ball back to Aaron Rodgers. I know Rex has been questioned about it this week, Dom, uh, a little bit. Um, what was your What was your takeaway from that? Because I liked that they were aggressive. You know what? You, you could look at it both ways, uh, because and simply because Geno Smith had a chance there to to, to hit Zach Sudfeld. Uh, Sudfeld yeah. was wide open, and yeah. if Geno makes that throw. And, and, you know, even for whether it, whether it's a touchdown or not, if he, if he puts that ball where it's supposed to be, we're not having this conversation. And we may even be talking about a Jets victory. Um, but in hindsight, when a play like that doesn't work, it's always easy to look and say, well, it's first and ten. Why didn't they run the ball? But I, I think maybe they took the, sh- the chance that they did there because they, the, they were maybe thinking that the Packers expected them to run the ball there. And, they, um, you know, the fact of the matter is, if Geno doesn't get hit, if Brian Winters doesn't let Mike Daniels get by him to get that clean shot at Geno just as yes. he's kind of stepping into that throw, we might be having a different conversation here, and that, that pass may have been completed. I mean, he, Sunfeld was so open, he, he, he told me after the game that part of the reason he had a problem reacting where it looked like he didn't really make a play on the ball was because he was expecting it to be thrown where it was supposed to go. And by the time he was able to adjust and understand that the ball was underthrown, he didn't know Gino got hit. So by the time he was able to adjust to see where the ball was, it was too late. You know, Traymond Williams was there to pick it off. So, you know, 
this is one of those things where in hindsight it always looks easy to say, you know, the Jets should have run the ball, let Rodgers, you know, keep him off the field in that case. Um, but they took a shot that, you know, had they executed everything correctly, probably would have gone for a touchdown. So, Dom, even at that point, they throw the interception. They're up 21-9. They've got the Packers pinned inside their five-yard line, and it's late in the second quarter. Uh, give me your thoughts on what happened with the defense on that drive. How did they let this team go 97 yards in such a short amount of time? Well, it wasn't like they were playing, you know, like a, a, a prevent or just doing a, a three-man rush or anything like that. They actually were, were you know, had blitzed Aaron Rodgers a few times on that that series, uh, but Rodgers was just getting rid of the ball as quickly as possible. If you watch that that, that sequence again, the whole drive, uh, there's a lot of quick, short throws where they just sort of like, you know, picked at the Jets all the way up the field. And then the real killer, frankly, was the, the roughing the passer penalty on Jason Babbitt because that's, right, yeah. that moves the ball from around midfield down to the 30, you know, or so, 32 maybe, um, with about 30-some seconds left. So, it, you know, it, that, that it, plus it stops the clock, you know, all of those things that, that sort of worked against the Jets there. Um, but really it was, a, you know, you got to give the Packers some credit. I mean, Rodgers sees what the defense is giving him in that situation, being a little bit of a, a little bit aggressive and taking advantage by, by unleashing a lot of short throws to, 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 to negate, you know, whatever pressure the Jets were bringing. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the point that I came back to, which was, they were aggressive. They went for it. As you said, Sudfeld was wide open. I watched the play again, Dom, and I was like, oh, man. And I, I guess Gino said, you know, he's got to step into that throw and throw it a little earlier. And Brian Winters didn't need to get beaten like a drum on that play either. But uh, they didn't also need to let them drive 97 yards. You know, like that, no, that was like, the re- that's the backbreaker Sorry, to that's- me more than the pick. Right. But, but it's it, it set up by the pick, obviously, because you're yeah. giving them the ball back. But you. You know, you don't want to let any team go that 97 yards in a situation like that, uh, especially just before halftime when you don't really get a chance to, to answer. Um, but but it's it's set up by the interception, and the interception happens, you know, again, really because Gino gets hit, uh, yeah. I think for no other reason. Because, he, you know, he was he was mostly accurate in a lot of his throws. So we, you know, he, he, I think, uh, you know, he cer- I, I certainly don't think he would have thrown a pick in that situation had he not been hit, um, you know, maybe maybe the throw's incomplete or it's overthrown or underthrown, something like that. But I really doubt it would have ended up being an interception had he not uh, had he not been hit because it was just as he was kind of stepping into it um, that it was picked off. But then the, you know, just to have that that that's really when you get that sinking feeling is when the Packers come up the field and they're able to score just before the half. Uh, you know, because it, it's twenty-one sixteen Jets at that point, but it it doesn't feel like they're winning anymore, really. Yeah, totally. And I feel like, I feel like too, um, the other thing about it that's, that's sort of just, I don't think Gino's been, yep, I don't think Gino's been forcing the ball in there. I think Gino hasn't been making bad decisions through the first two games. I mean, the one pick, like you said in your article, was, you know, Woodson made a tremendous play. He's picked off better quarterbacks than Gino, and he sort of baited him into it Mm -hmm. and made an incredible play. And then the fumble was a terrible play call, A, and B, involved a couple of missed blocks, as you said. So you pointed that in, right. uh, out in your article. I have a – you've been around the team that's, – that's my one-year-old. I'm going to get him in a second. Um, <laughs> you've been around the team, though, um, a lot, you know, the last few days this week, Dom. How are they reacting to 
what is an awful loss? Because we can read stuff in the papers and we can see Rex Ryan, but what's the mood? How has it been in the locker room? You know, it's unchanged. I mean, these guys are, are pros and, you know, they, they, they've all lost before. And, you know, Gino admitted that this one kind of stayed with him for a couple of days. You know, we, we, we didn't have access to the team uh, on Tuesday because the, 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 that's their day off. And they had a kind of a late practice yesterday, later in the afternoon. <clears throat> um, but, but now, you know, that, that, that's the way thing, life is in the NFL. You don't really have time to, to dwell on it. You can kind of do it, you know, Sunday night into Monday, Tuesday's a day off. The coaches are putting together the game plan. But come Wednesday, you know, you're back at it and you're you're preparing for the Chicago Bears, and that's really where the, the Jets' mindset is right now. I mean, they they can't really afford to dwell on this game any more than it is because it's, it's one of 16, it's one loss, and they've got another game coming up on Monday with another very good opponent. Don, do you think this? Do you think they believe that they're a good team right now, or is it still too early to tell? They believe they're a good team, um, you know. But, but if you ask any NFL team that kind of question, they're probably going to tell you the same thing. And you know, no, I don't know that any professional athlete or professional team would want to take the field and admit that they're they're, they're not good. But the, the Jets have certainly been uh, confident all summer. Um, there's certainly been a lot of confidence in, in Gino and what he can do. Uh, and even with the, the injuries they've had at, at cornerback, um, you know, there's been a, a general feeling that's, you know, at least what they're expressing publicly, that it's something that they're going to be able to, to, you know, withstand and deal with, uh, you know, just based on some of the schemes they can come up with and, you know, with the talent they've got, particularly with the their front seven, to, to sort of compensate for that. So, you know, this is a team that, 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 that believes in itself and, and certainly feels like, uh, you know, they can compete with anybody. And I, I think that there is a gnawing feeling that, that, that they could have won that game Sunday against a, a very good opponent and a tough place to play and all that. Um, you know, but, but so, so they weren't necessarily surprised that, that, that they jumped out to the big lead or that they were as close as they were to – to tying it and possibly even winning it at the end of the game, um, but but you know, but they're a good team, and but they've got 14 more games to go to really prove to the rest of the world that they're a good team. I just I, I want to jump back to the Green Bay game real quick and just touch on the timeout that was called late in the fourth quarter with uh, with Morningwig and then Sheldon Richardson was involved in it. Uh, just a couple things on that. Number one. Personally, I feel like a, a lot more was made of it than needed to be based on the way that it played out. I wanted to get your thoughts on that. And, well, give me give me your thoughts on that. Do, do you think that it, it wound up being more of a story than it needed to be? Um, I mean, any, it was such a strange scenario. So I think in the sense that it was a story is because there's a lot of curiosity from from reporters as well as fans just to say, what the heck happened? I mean, obviously there were, you know, many, many other plays that impacted that game, and there was still five minutes remaining, you know, which is plenty of time for Aaron Rodgers possibly to, to bring the Packers back up the field. But it, it's such an unusual set of circumstances. You know, right. here you have a, you know, a, a fourth down play, a team lining up, getting set to run it. The assistant coach, not the head coach, uh, you know, calls for a timeout. 
the, the official doesn't see or hear it, neither does the head coach, but another player on the sideline does. That player lets the official know. Um, the official's supposed to get that it, it, the, the timeout from the head coach by rule, but this official without is also not permitted to turn around because the the ball was was, was you know was uh, was down and, and and the play was ready to begin, and his job is also to keep his eyes on the field. So you had this sort of fascinating set of circumstances that you're probably never going to see again. So I think that's right. why it, it comes up as a story. I think, you know, some people will look at it and say, well, why is the media harping on this kind of thing? And I, I just think because it's a fascinating set of circumstances that played out, um, you know, really kind of, it, and, and it's just one of those spur of the moment in the heat of the battle type things that that, that, that resulted from it. I don't think it's a breakdown in, in discipline or that it reflects on Sheldon Richardson or Marty Morningweg or even Rex Ryan. It's just right. something that happened based on a strange set of circumstances that could have happened to any team in this league. It just happened to be the Jets, so it's something that you know people end up making a, a you know making a sport of or making light of. But I, but I, but you know I, I think from the perspective that where, where reporters wrote about it and Daryl Slater, my colleague at, at uh, NJ Advanced Media, wrote a lot about it this week. But it's really because it's it was a, it's fascinating. I mean, you know what the heck happened you know, from beginning to end and, and why did it happen? And, and really the, the, the best summary of it is, is that it was just a random set of circumstances in the heat of the moment at a very critical time in the game. And, and the Jet fan will tell you that the random set of circumstances seem to happen a lot to the Jets, which is kind of unfortunate. That's, yes. Yes. You know? That's just, uh, you know, I, I can say having grown up as a, as a, Pittsburgh Pirates fan, but I, I I know your pain in the, in that 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 sense. Uh, sure. But they, you know, the, the Pirates have turned things around. They just clinched another winning season tonight. So they did it. Twenty years. Twenty years. They of, didn't have any winning seasons. Yeah. They might make the playoffs. So you know, any. Yeah, yeah, they're only like a game out. I think so. It, it's but but the point the point is is that you know stuff like that doesn't last forever. You know, take it right. from me. So, uh, <laughs> and I, you know, the Red Sox had a Red Sox had a base runner called out tonight because a ball hit him, a, a, a hit ball hit him, you know, while he was, while, you know, up the line in play. That's the kind of stuff that happened to the Pirates for twenty years. So and there you go. It's a good point, and I and I wonder if just using the timeout on Sunday as an example, if that had happened to a team like the Dolphins or or the Steelers or anybody else, if it would have been at least locally, as big of a big deal. But since the Jets have this sort of history of, of things like this happening, maybe that's why it got a lot more play here in New York. I, th- I think so. I mean, you got a lot more media here in New York, too. There's, there's certainly oh, more yeah. reporters covering this team and covering the Giants than there are, uh, you know, in places like Pittsburgh or Miami. So you're, you're going to have some of that, too. Uh, but, but I do think... It would have been a, it would have been a quirky, weird thing had it happened to just about any team in the league. It's just that it, it you know, unfortunately happened to be the Jets, and here we are. Sure. Now, it was a random uh, thing. I mean, I, I don't I don't subscribe to the notion that this this was some sort of breakdown in discipline or protocol. That you know, where where Marty Morningwing is be going rogue and calling a timeout, and and Sheldon you know overreacted. And no, it's a heat of the battle thing that could have happened to any team and any set of players and coaches anywhere. So you were satisfied with their explanations of what had happened after the fact? Oh, absolutely. Because, again, 
you know, the formation was wrong. So morning, you know, it's a fourth down. You've got 80,000 people screaming. The formation looked wrong. Morning Lake wanted a timeout. They fixed the formation. He takes it back, but Sheldon saw him signal for the timeout. So that he figures they're going to want the, he, he's guessing, well, a coach wants the timeout. I'm going to tell, I'm going to try to nudge the ref here. It all makes sense. It's, you know, it's just a, you know, you know, like a snowball effect of, of, of circumstances that, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, and and then to have them score a touchdown on the play too. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just this, this strange, bizarre set of circumstances, but I, you know, there was nothing, like I said, there's no, no breakdown in protocol, no lack of discipline or any of that stuff led to this because it could, it's, it, when you consider all of the circumstances together, it actually made sense that it happened the way it did. It's just that, you know, the fact that, that Gino threw a touchdown pass to Jeremy Curley on the play makes it, you know, just so weird. Well, and, and you know, two things about that that are encouraging. Number one was the way Sheldon Richardson kind of took accountability for it and he just kind of stepped up and, and owned what he did as a second-year guy in the league. It was it was kind of refreshing to see that maturity come out of him. And the second and he thing wasn't even, was uh, he, he I, I can tell you I didn't mean I don't mean to cut you off but he sort of volunteered no, sure. that information too. He, the, the, yeah. the, the, the the questioning was just sort of you know what did you think of it? No one you know when we're in the press box watching the game, all of the reporters who were up there, we don't get the you know we, we really didn't get to see a replay that where where we were focused on. The, the sideline or anything like that. You know, we get to see one quick replay that sit, and we're back to, you know, we're, we're all trying to write something by the end of the game, this and that. So it's a little hectic. You get downstairs. We talked to Richardson about the fight initially. Someone just asked a question about the timeout, and he volunteers that he was the one who told the referee. And then, then everybody's able to piece this whole thing together. He stepped up and just owned the fact that, 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 that he had done what he did. He didn't do anything wrong. He did what he right. thought was right because he watched a coach 15 feet away signal for a timeout. You know, he figured the team wanted a timeout, and why wouldn't he? You know, if, if a, a coach wouldn't be signaling for a timeout unless he needed one there or felt that he needed one there in that situation. But to, to, then again, it all comes together the way it did, and, and here we are. And he didn't have to offer that up. He could have. He could have very easily – not said anything about it and people still didn't know at that point i guess from what you're saying that he was involved in it yeah and he it would have well we would have known by monday because i think we all would have looked at the we all would have been studying the tape of this you know and and see and trying to see who on the sideline called it and we would have seen sheldon lean into the referee but but but, you know we were able to get that really you know i can say that the reporters in the press box were able to get that before having gotten to sit down and really digest the video, you know, because Sheldon owned up to it, really. Which is good, and then it gave us some answers a lot quicker. The, um, right, which the, is what we wanted, you know. Sure. And then the second thing, this is just from my perspective, is all this is going on, the timeout, no timeout, timeout, no t- and in the midst of all of this, Geno Smith throws a touchdown pass. It was called back, right. obviously, but it it said something to me about you know, the questions about Geno Smith and has, has he matured in his second year? Can he handle the pressure of a big game on the road in Lambeau Field? And he doesn't know what's going on. He's running the play, and he throws a touchdown pass. And I, I think that was a piece mm-hmm. of, of it that didn't get much play, but I was impressed by that. 
Yeah, you have to wonder, though, because whether the Packers sort of stopped on the play, though, too, because if you, as soon as Curley caught the ball, the two defenders who were closest to him in the end zone were waving their arms as though they knew. Because the whistle was blown on the field right away, so I think there might have been an element of the Packers sort of stopping so they there knew. as well. You know, because if you watch the the catch made by Curley again, you can kind of see both both defenders there sort of waving their hands as though, you know, no play. Um, so that that may be why the, you know, the touchdown pass doesn't get, you know, as much attention maybe as, as you're, you're suggesting it ought to is because, you know, it, it was kind of a free play for the Jets in a sense because the whistle was, even and if you, you listen to everything too, the whistle was blown kind of just as the ball was snapped. So the players okay, so knew the play was dead. Some, of the, some players may have known that the play was dead. Right. Watching it from our perspective, we don't get that information. So, right. Well, I'm trying to give Gino a little credit. Uh, and he deserves credit, sure. I mean, I thought he played a very good game. I, you know, I, I think he was he was limited in the second half by by Eric Decker's injury above all because the Jets really couldn't stretch the field. The Packers were able to kind of, uh, you know, play their base defense with their, uh, you know, you know sort of stacked the box a little bit so the Jets couldn't run the ball and they also couldn't throw the ball downfield at all. You know, they had no deep threat, really, with, without Decker. Um, and, and so they, they sort of uh, spun their wheels there, uh, you know, in the second half. So they, you know, getting Decker back is going to be really important for Monday night for, for the same reason, I think. Yeah, I think I, – yeah, and I was just going to ask you, uh, you, you made the point, has this offense or is this offense perhaps too Decker-reliant? Because he's the big – and they were they were a kind of a completely different team in the second half once Decker got hurt. Have they become because look they they needed to go out and get a wide receiver they needed to improve the weapons around Geno Smith. They went and got the best wide receiver on the market in Eric Decker, who I think is a really good receiver. I mean the number one mm-hmm. stuff all that all that I, I think that's garbage. It doesn't really make a difference. Does he fit in the offense? Does he run good routes? Does he have good hands? Does he catch the ball at the top of his route? All that kind of stuff Eric Decker does. And so, but were they, it, it frightened me a little bit because once you went out of the game, you know, and you're running sort of uh, David Nelson and, and Salas out there in his spot, um, it made me think that perhaps they're a little too Decker reliant. Well, maybe, but you also have to consider the fact that they game plans Sunday to happen. You know, if we get to a right. point here um, where they, you know they know they're not going to have him, and they're putting the, they're putting together the game plan for this week. Maybe they run, you know, a different set of plays. You know, they just game plan differently because of the fact that they don't have him. I mean, they, you know, Sunday he was there for for close to three quarters, uh, yeah. and 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 was an integral part of the offense. And Geno still threw the ball to eleven different receivers, and nine of them caught passes. They were they were spreading the ball around pretty well. But Decker just gives them that element. You know, you saw the movie put on Sam Shields for that, that touchdown yep. he scored. You know, Decker gives them that element that allows them to sort of stretch the defense a little bit. Now, if they don't have him, they're going to have to get a little more creative. But at least they will have this week, you know, to, 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 to install whatever it is they want to do to, 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 to attack the Bears in a way that they, they, they really couldn't on the fly maybe, uh, you know, on Sunday. Yeah, I think it was I think it was pretty clear that 
uh, Amaro, you know, the tight ends, Cumberland. Amaro only played 22 snaps, I think. I think it was pretty clear that the tight ends were not a big part of the game plan. And then, you know, maybe an adjustment on the fly there would have been trying to get Amaro uh, more involved or, you know, from, you know, even splitting him out wide and, and using him in motion and stuff like that. I, I think if Decker's not there this week, I think you're absolutely right, Dom. You know, you'll see a lot more Cumberland involved. You'll see a lot more, hopefully, of Jason Morrow, um, right. you know, in, involved in the, in the game plan. And Marty Morningway tends to be that guy, right? He tends to be a game plan, a game-specific game planner, um, you know, trying to attack the – this was the big criticism we always had of Brian Schottenheimer, right? It was – Brian right. Schottenheimer's offense was right. like, well, it's supposed to work. Not my fault. Right, right, right. <laughs> but I, I think, you know, you can see with Marty trying to do, you know, just sort of the various things the Jets have done these first two weeks. They, he's really trying to utilize as many of the, the weapons and the possibilities as he has with this offense. Obviously, having Decker Monday night would be a huge help for the yes. Jets. But if yeah. they don't have him, I would imagine, yeah, you, you make a great point that, you know they've got a, they've got three tight ends they can use. You know who can get downfield, um, and 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 you know those tight ends were not thrown to a whole lot on Sunday. Maybe that changes Monday night. Um, you know we'll have to wait and see. But but make no mistake, having Decker would be very important for Monday night's game. Yeah, no, he's he's a difference maker, and that's what they brought him in to be. And that move was gorgeous. I mean, we haven't seen. A wide receiver, and and I I was a big Braylon Edwards guy. Almost we've been doing this show for five years. Cal uh, uh, was worried that I might need a restraining order or something or some sort of stay away from Braylon Edwards because I was a huge fan of Braylon's. Um, but you, you know we haven't seen a receiver do that in a while, where it's an individual move, and then of course Gino dropped the ball in beautifully there. Let me ask you, right. Dom. Now moving forward, um, and oh, it, the, actually the last thing for the Packers game for me was. And this goes back to the same old Jets thing. I think one of the reasons I didn't take this loss as hard as I've taken losses in the past is because, A, I'm 40, but, B, um, <laughs> I, I thought the talent le- – I thought if that game was played in MetLife, they win. Yeah, I really do. I think I you're really right. I think I, the talent level they, they, is, is close. And this is one of the top two or three offenses in the game in their own building. Yes. And they were right there. The talent level has increased, I think. If they stay healthy, it's a big difference. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. You know, and I, I think, uh, you know, if they once they get D. Milner, D. Milner back to 100%, it's going to make a big difference. You know, Rodgers threw for 346 yards, and everyone's going to want to harp on that. But you know what? He does that to a lot of teams yeah. every week, every year. It's not yeah. that unusual. It's not. It's, no. you know. He's going to he's going to do that. You know, there's only so many ways you can, you know, scheme to defend against him. You know, they used some, you know, uh, uh, Connor Rogers from Turn on the Jets did some great stuff showing yep. how they used some cover two early and went to cover one later. You know, the, the Jets were trying different things throughout the game, and you know, Rogers has a Super Bowl ring. He's got the highest rating of any quarterback in the history of the league. For a reason, because this is what he does. He can see what what a defense is throwing at him and yep. exploit it, and that's just what he did on Sunday. The Jets still shut him out in the fourth quarter. You yep. know, people forget that too. Um, yep. But you know, and I, I he, said they scored I said thirty-one somebody, points at home. They do that. They do that a lot to a lot of teams every week, every year. 
That's absolutely right. I said to somebody who was who was taking apart, you know, the secondary and Itzik and you know, it's a referendum on a failed off season and all this stuff. I said, I will bet you dollars to donuts. Aaron Rodgers throws three touchdown passes at home again this year against a better secondary yes. than the Jets. This is what right. he does. He will do it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. He will do it a lot. And, and especially and, when he has the benefit of operating that offense in a complete silent, you know, cone of silence and in a complete yes. vacuum, it makes a huge difference. You put him on the road huge in, even in MetLife. I think the Jets probably win that game. So I was kind of heartened by it. I mean, I mean, other than the Jordy Nelson touchdown, which you know was right. it was a double move, a terrific move that he made on on Milner. You know, it, yep. it's easy to point the finger at Milner, but there aren't many corners that would have been able to stop that play. Consider how there weren't many other deep throws that that Rogers no. completed in this game. He realized that the Jets had taken away the deep threat, and he threw the ball underneath all day. What are you supposed to do? I mean, you know that that's what a good quarterback, a, a excuse me, a great quarterback is going yeah. to do to just about any defense. He's going to take what he can based on what the defense is giving him. The Jets did not want to get beaten with a home run, yep. so Aaron Rodgers beat them with singles and doubles most of the game. And then he hit the home run, you know, on, on the deep the deep ball to Nelson there, and that, yeah. that was a mistake. But, but you're going to have and, to. And also Pryor, have, Pryor was supposed to be there. I mean, Calvin Pryor's got to get over it and take a better angle. And Rex said it in the press well, conference on Monday. You know, he said Pryor should see the rollout and should double Jordy Nelson on that anyway. Well, but if you watch the play, though, if this is another way to look at it. You know, Quarles sort of brings uh, Calvin yeah. Pace with him to the middle of the field at the same time. So Pryor's seeing both guys. And then, you know, right. the double move happens, but it doesn't happen initially. He's got Quarles right in front of him right. know, with a step or two on Calvin Pace. So he's looking that way, too. So it, the, the the bigger problem just may have been that, that – uh, uh, you know, Rex had put him out there, you know, by himself to, you know, in sort of a yep. cover one yep. type situation. You know, that, that whether he's a rookie or not, that just may not, that, that was just the wrong call in that situation. Again, the, the, the Rogers, Rogers and the Packers saw that and exploited it. That's yeah, what teams do. That's what football <laughs> is. That's what football is. Yep. It's exploiting matchups. You're, I, I mean, it's that's exactly what football is. That's what winning football is. That's what the Seahawks did to the Broncos in the Super Bowl last year. They just exploited right. matchups. Right. They found the matchups that they were going to win, and they won them all. And you, you don't often right. hit them all in one day like the, like the Seahawks no. did. <laughs> you know, no, you, you, you no. Don't you know, the Jets, the, Jets battles, battles, right? the, the Jets won some battles against Rodgers the other day, too. They sacked him a few times. They, they rushed him yeah. out of the pocket. You know, it's just that he later on, if you you know, he just figured out that it was if the Jets were going to pressure him, or even if they didn't, you know, and they were able to get pressure on him without bringing you know uh, extra pass rushers, he's yep. just going to get rid of the ball quickly. There were a lot yep. of that that 97 yard drive was nothing but quick throws, nothing but quick throws, smokes everywhere. Yep, absolutely. And that that game plan, and I'm going to be really interested to see what Rex does this week against. Uh, the Bears and those two receivers. But that game plan against Rodgers, especially early, reminded me a lot of the game plan against Tom Brady in the uh, the NFC or the AFC divisional round in 2010-11. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, was, it was a lot of faking pressure. It was a lot of zone, which he hadn't shown a lot mm-hmm. of. It was rushing four guys and not, you know, and being able to get there and get pressure with four guys, whether they be linebackers or down linemen, it didn't matter. That game plan looked really familiar to me. Right. 
and 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 probably for the same reasons. It was just you know to try to confuse Rogers into you know thinking he's seeing things that he's he's yep. not, and that that that's that's what Rex brings. And I imagine they're going to do they're going to try to do something some similar sort of you know wrinkle for they'll have some sort of similar game plan, you know maybe not exactly the same you know uh, for for Jay Cutler this week. Yeah, I, I think um, – now let's talk about this week's game real quick, and then I really uh, want to talk about the NFL stuff with you, Dom, because we'd be remiss if mm-hmm. we didn't. But um, So coming into this game, as you said before, the players seem sort of unaffected, sort of level, which is a good thing to hear. Um, and, and now they're in the gauntlet of these, you know, what was it, five or six ridiculous quarterbacks uh, in, in this stretch of schedule. But do they feel the way about – and, and of course they'll never say it, but do you get the sense that they feel the way about Jay Cutler as they did the reverence that they sort of had for Aaron Rodgers? I feel like they think Cutler's more beatable. It's hard to say. I mean, it's just, it's a different matchup. Uh, you know, certainly the, the, having the two big receivers on the outside and the, 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 the tight end in the middle and then Forte, you know, Bennett in the middle and then Forte as, as the running back. It's just, a, it's a different package. I mean, that, you know, they're looking at beating the Bears. They're not necessarily looking at, at matching up against, you know, Aaron Rodgers or, or okay. Jay Cutler or, you know, that kind of thing. I, you know, they see it as that they, they've got to stop this offense. This just happens to be the guy running it, you know. Okay. And, you know, Cutler has a more so than Rodgers has a history of, 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 of you know, forcing throws and things like that. So I, I, my guess would be that, you know, they're going to want to, they're going to want to get after him in ways to get him to, to make a throw or two that he's going to regret, you know, and, and, and this defense needs to start coming up with turnovers. There's no question about it. Yes. They, they recovered a fumble on the, they recovered a fumble on the first series, the first play of the game Sunday, um, you know, but, but they're really not forcing turnovers. It was, a, and it was a problem for, for all of last season too, really, you know, um, but, you know, so one of these games, maybe, you know, maybe that's something they do, but it's, it's something they need to start doing. I think, just to help the offense a little bit too. And, and Dom, do you get the sense, uh, health-wise, that Milner is going to be good to go on Monday night, and also if Decker is going to be good to go on Monday night? I, I, I'm more confident in, in Milner than I am in, in Decker. Uh, the fact that Decker, you know, we're now into Friday tomorrow. You know, Decker didn't uh, didn't have his helmet yesterday. He did today, but he kind of went right over to, to to the trainers. But but Milner was out there. And, with the position group, um, you know, he, he said yesterday that he he wasn't feeling the tightness. I, I, I get the sense that D's going to play. Um, he may not start. Uh, I think it could be a kind of a, a similar situation to what we saw. I think he played 40 snaps on Sunday, but Allen and Walls started. I think it could be something similar to that. Uh, but Decker, I'm really kind of getting And, again, things can change, but, you know, if he doesn't practice tomorrow, I have a hard time uh, seeing him in uniform, believing that he'll be in uniform come Monday night. Yeah, and that 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 is definitely going to make it difficult um, uh, for the offense. But as we said, you know, game plan around it. There are other weapons there. It's not last year where, you know, when San Antonio Holmes was down uh, for those five weeks, you were really sort of running guys out there from like the practice squad and stuff. I mean, there's there's Chris right. Johnson, there's Chris Ivory, there's Jason Morrow, there's right. You know, even even Jeremy Curley is a he, – he seems to – that guy's amazing. He seems to get better with every game, almost with every game. He's a, where, 
yeah, where he just improves on something. He's a very, very good possession receiver. There's no question about it. You know, in every sense of the word. Uh, yeah. You know, a very, very, very good player in that in that way. But, but, you know, if you're the Jets, you you don't want to rush Decker back either. You right. Know, you don't want this to be. Uh, you know, it's the same hamstring that flared up in training camp. You know, it might be better to give him the extra week to to, to rest it. Um, you know, just so that this isn't a, a problem that they're going to be dealing with with him for the rest of the season. That's what you don't want. So I, I would guess for that reason, above all, uh, in addition to the fact that he just may not be ready, but, but you know, they, I, I, I wouldn't want to see a situation where they're dealing with this for the rest of the year because yeah. he's trying to get back sooner than, 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 maybe he, than maybe he should. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Now, I, I want to shift gears a bit if you have another second, and that is, this mm-hmm. is your is this your first uh, professional beat? Like, is this time your first time following a team pro, uh, on the uh, professional team on a beat? Uh, professional team full time, yes. Yeah. Uh, I briefly covered the Philadelphia Eagles, but kind of on a part time basis uh, back in 2010. So uh, I covered a lot of college basketball back in the day, but, but not not on a full time beat level where I'm, you know. Uh, kind of with the team every day and traveling. Yeah. No, this is the first time I've done that. So in that experience, I, I'm I'm hoping perhaps you can shed some light on it through two prisms. Uh, the first prism being just uh, personally and how has it met your expectations? Has it been different than what you expected? Have you, uh, and especially, of course, it being the jet beat, uh, which uh, I'm told is a little different than most in the NFL, um, has it has it met your expectations? Exceeded them? How how has it been? So far, it's been pretty good. It's just it's been a lot of work, uh, you know. And, and you know, I wanted to do this when I was much younger and when I was single. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it, it's kind of a grind for for someone who's married. But uh, uh, but I but I, I do enjoy it. There's always something to write about. There's all you know. They're always interesting. You know that it's and 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 you know I, I kind of joined the beat after the the, the circus that the Jets famously mm-hmm. were there for a while had had left town so um, you know there's, there's far fewer uh, you know stupid stories to sort of uh, you know have certain <laughs> things you just have to chase in, in a situation um, you know so it, it, I enjoy it I do and I you know it, it's funny I I see a lot of people uh, you know hammering the beat writers for this and that. And I, and I can honestly say for on, on a personal level that, that, that everyone on the beat is, is really great to, 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 to work with and to be around there. there there's a lot of good people uh, covering this team, you know, um, you know, I know people have their own impressions of, of certain writers and this and that, but, but pretty much everyone I've encountered uh, has been an absolute pleasure to deal with. Um, so there's that. Uh, but, but yeah, it, it's fun. It was fun going to Lambeau, um, you know, and, and, and seeing what, what the environment around that place was like. And, uh, right. you know, Rex is a treat. I mean, just there's hmm. – I, I couldn't imagine covering Belichick or Coughlin or Tomlin or, the you know, any of these guys who who, right. who, who would rather, you know, bark at you than, than, than give you a comment or, or something insightful. Rex, you know, on, can take any boring day and give you something to write about, which, which for, you know, anyone who's covering a team is just great. So, so you know, in the – you know, the Jets are just fun, and it's New York, so it just feels bigger than than it would anywhere else. And it's, you right. know, so all of that is 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 great. It's an it's it's been a very enjoyable experience so far. Uh, 
for me. And uh, yeah, you know, I, 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 you're not really going to hear me complain about anything or, or anything or anyone or anything like that. So. Before we get to the other prism, I want to just to follow up on that, and that is, uh, or or to ask, um, so you you have this as you said. There's there's nothing to complain about. There's always something to write about. I wanted to sort of, uh, if I could, take a second just to commend you uh, on the job you're doing, and and the reason I do that is not to you know kiss ass or any of that stuff, but. Um, for us who don't usually have access to uh, the team and/or beat writers, um, there was there were some pieces that you did during training camp, and uh, it was you and um, uh, who's the other writer? I'm sorry, um, Daryl Daryl Slater. Daryl Daryl Slater. Yeah, uh, you guys did some some really interesting pieces and uh, about uh, having everybody vote on a player, and then you guys followed the player around for the day uh, mm-hmm. in training camp. And uh, basically reported their day while interweaving sort of stories of what they did in pra- or in that particular drill or how it related <clears throat> to what they were working on. It, the, the pieces were excellent, but also thank you. To, to no problem. To but also to fight the doldrums. Like we joke, Cal and I have joked on the show so many times about like the spring training articles, right? Like you'll get. Seven mm-hmm. articles about you know the guy's in the best shape of his life, and then you'll get another twelve articles about how this year is going to be different, and then you'll get another you know. Right. It was really a, a a great way to fight the doldrums of covering training camp, which I imagine can be monotonous. Uh, but also, uh, I found that a good deal in your coverage of the team, even you know the 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 daily posts that you're putting up. You're doing different spins. You're doing different things like. The great example is on CBS, they had top 10 most embarrassing games in Jets history over the last 10 years, mm-hmm. you know, after the Green Bay game. You did it differently. You did five gut punch games in the Rex Ryan era. <laughs> right. The The difference yeah. is subtle, but it is not lost on a Jet fan. Because okay. I don't want well, to. That's good, to, that's good I, to hear and good to know. Uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, we don't want to read about the butt fumble again. Like, I don't, I don't want to read about right. that. Well, but, you, you know what it is. You can right. tell the, you can tell the difference in the spirit of which the article is written. That's right. Yeah, it's okay. it, one is one is trolling, and the other one is mm-hmm. that was a gut punch game. Here are some others. Those suck too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, well, like, and that's what, <laughs> that's what I guess I you know. I, I, I still consider myself a fan of, 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 of you know, certain teams that I, I grew up watching. And I know the feeling of having, you know, being a fan and be getting, getting, being elated and being disappointed and, and all of that. And, and there's, there's a, you know, I always feel like, I guess that I'm, I'm writing for people who are rooting for this team. And in, in a sense, you can't, you can't run from the embarrassment. The Jets have not been successful for most of their existence. That's just a fact. So you can't, you can't hide that and you can't sugarcoat it, um, you know, and, and I'm someone who also likes, you know, likes to sort of look back at, at, at things, for, at, you know, games from the past or seasons or players and personalities yeah. and that, those kinds of things, you know, and sometimes you do want to be, there's nothing wrong with bringing up the butt fumble every now and then. I put it in the gut punch thing, but I didn't have to yeah. describe it. It was just easier to put the, the gif in there, Yeah, you know. That's that's always like it or not. That's always going to be a part of the Jets' history. It just will, you know. I yeah. mean, that's just the way the way it is. But the, yeah. you know, if I'm a fan reading about this team or talking about this team with 
friends over a beer or something, you describe these these games not as embarrassments but as God, how did they lose that game? You know, so that, that's just the, I guess the yeah. thought process I I had in in wanting to to do the thing I did today was, you know, these games are frustrating for the fans, you know, and 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 that that that's really the better way to couch it than as a quote unquote embarrassment. So, yeah. uh, but I, I appreciate the the praise and and Daryl too, although we can't take credit for the idea of following the guy at training camp. That was actually yeah. uh, done by our uh, Jordan Renan, who covers the Giants for, for NJ Advanced Media, had done the same thing and suggested that, that you know, he, he when he did it first with the Giants, he said it went over really well with, with his readers over there and, okay. and I, that it ought to be something we try. And we, we, we incorporated it and we, you know, we got a lot of great feedback. And it was something, you know, we wish we could have done more often, but there's just so many responsibilities with, with, with having to cover uh, things day in and day out, but it, it wasn't really something we could do every day. Yeah. Uh, and it's certainly not something we can do during the season because, you know, we only have access to watch the first 30 minutes of practice and then right. they kick us out. So it's, it, you know, it's not really something we can do again. Uh, but yeah, it's just, the idea was just really to, you know, and, and and we wrote plenty about the quarterbacks this summer and all of that and and you know and, and like it or not, quarterbacks are something that, that that people read about you know a lot of you know the the hardcore fan you know wants to know about the the you know the the the, the second string corners and that kind of thing but but you know a lot of a lot more people read about quarterbacks you see a lot of stuff about quarterbacks but once you get into you know a week or two into camp you. Even as a writer, you want to write something different. You want to write something that's insightful, that's going to tell people something that, that maybe they didn't know. And, you know, the easiest way to do that really was just to keep your eyes locked on a guy for the whole two-hour practice yeah. and, and record everything he did. And, and you know, maybe the, you get something out of that, maybe you don't. But the, the general feedback we got from a lot of people was that it, it went over pretty well, and we, we appreciate that. Yeah, you guys executed it really well. I'm curious. As to, uh, are you from Pennsylvania, Don? I I grew up in Pittsburgh and uh, moved to went to college in Philadelphia and then lived there for for a number of years. But uh, I've been in New York now for about three years. Did you go to Central Catholic? In Pittsburgh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did actually. <laughs> How did you know? I have a I have a lot of friends that went to Central Catholic. Yeah, um, I'm, uh, I'm I'm one of, I'm uh, I'm a Viking. You're a proud Viking, huh? You and you and Dan Marino. I'm a proud me and Dan Marino and Mark Bolger, actually. And Mark Bolger, uh, that's right. Two, yeah. yeah. No, I, I have some. Uh, I have some good buddies uh, from college. I went to the University of Dayton in Ohio, and uh, I have some uh, oh, okay. some good some good buddies that went to uh, Central Catholic, and I visited the Berg a okay. number of times. And um, I, I the reason I ask is I wonder who you sort of grew up reading and sort of liking when it came to uh, to sports journalism? Like, who was there anybody in Pittsburgh? Obviously, it's a tremendous sports town. Was there anybody there that sort of, you know, you wanted to emulate or that was big for you? Um, you know, I, I, the one guy in particular would be, and he, he's still there, uh, a guy named right. Gene Collier, who's a columnist for the Post-Gazette. He always... okay. He's not the most insightful guy, but he, he always wrote with kind of a sense of humor and took the lighter side of things and, uh, you know, could really turn a phrase and all of that. And, he, you know, I, I delivered the, the old Pittsburgh Press as a kid, which was the 
evening paper that's long gone. But, uh, right. you know, when, whenever Gene would write a column, I'd stop and read it before I, I ran my route. You know, it was just a, right. uh, you know, and then it, after I finished college and, and kind of got into the business, I shot him an email and he, he wrote back a very kind and encouraging reply, you know, and it, it, it uh, you know, it, it meant a lot to me at the time. And I've heard he's a very nice guy. I've never had the chance to meet him, but, but he was certainly someone from a, you know, a really young age that, 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 that I, you know, I felt like, you know, that guy's got a cool job. I'd like to do that. So, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. We, yeah, we grew up that with would, these guys. That would be one. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, Cal, yeah. who is Cal? Who's it? Cal, if you had to pick, who is your favorite columnist? Who was your, yeah, who was your favorite sports columnist? Who was the guy that you had to read? Our paper, Dom, growing up was Newsday because we both grew up on Long Island. Sure, Long Island. So, yeah, yeah. So Newsday was sort of the Newsday was. I mean, we got the as we got older, you went and picked up the Daily News and the Post, or maybe you got it on Sunday, but you got Daily News every day. So who was your guy, Cal? Well, I also I like uh, like Dom. I delivered the evening edition of the Newsday. Did you really? Yeah, I did. I did. I had a had a paper route out here oh, and. Boy. Uh, Around that time was when Mike Lupica moved over from the Daily News yep. and did a couple of years with Newsday. So Mike Lupica was the guy for me growing up that I had to read. Totally agree. Every Sunday morning, shooting from the lip, uh, and Lupica's columns, and uh, and I still, I still, I'm 40 years old. I still read it. I don't read the Daily News anymore because I have a certain problem with certain other reporters that you may see on a daily basis, Tom. But uh, but no I no comment. Uh, Right, right. But I no, I still read Lupica. I do. I you know, those those guys and, and his writing style, like I tried to do that when I wrote for like my high school paper or my college paper. I tried to be Lupica. Like I had a shooting from the you know, mm-hmm. lip thing or whatever. These are the, the, the guys you emulate. It's kind of cool that you wound up uh, you know, getting to do it. Uh, I wanna if I can, just another couple minutes, if we can just have you I yeah. wanna take you now to Deadspin, um and your mm-hmm. time there because I I don't think Cal is. You're you're probably not as much as I am uh, fascinated by Deadspin and how it fits into. Because I I think I started reading it very early. I, I guess it started in 2005. Yeah. I feel like I started. Right. I feel like I started it re- reading it really early, or going to it really early when it was about the comments. It wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. even about the. Um, you know the the content. It was about the comments and how clever could you be in the comments. And I never posted because I'm not that clever. Uh, how long did you spend at Deadspin? And and can you tell us a little bit about what your time was like there? Uh, I was there about two two and a half years. Okay. Uh, started when I moved to New York in July of 2011, and uh, left to join. NJ.com in December, kind of a two or three weeks left in the Jets season last year was when I started on the beat. So I had about two and a half years, and it was a tremendous two and a half years. I just learned a lot. Um, you know, there's a very talented group of people that work there uh, with, a, you know, a wicked sense of humor, obviously. And uh, it was just, a, it was a really a great place to work because every day, you know, it, it was neat to see, especially having come from, I worked at a, you know, suburban daily paper prior to, to landing there and and just to see you know how much they do on a daily basis that would move really move the needle um you know both in sports journalism and just uh you know just in you know in general like like all of the right i felt like all of the right all of the right people 
were reading the site because there was just, you know, every day they'd have something that, you know, uh, you didn't want to miss. And, you know, I was really grateful for the, for the time I had there. Uh, and, you, you know, very good group of people, too, uh, to work with, believe it or not. So um, <laughs> I have nothing but nothing but good things to say about the 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 the, the, the people there, and I'm friends with a handful of them still, and and uh, you know just what it, you know how much I learned just about you know how much better this profession can be. You know I, I, I it was always you know I I was a newspaper guy even for a long time. You know but but part of the reason you know newspapers lost or, or you know began losing ground a because of the the changes in the technology that really B, they, I don't think they were writing in the way that uh, they were, you know, they were writing the same, they were writing in a way that they always knew how to do it, but I don't know that it was the way that the people were consuming it or even the way people thought about it. Yes. Uh, thought about the, you know, sports or, or, or some of the, the issues of the day and some of the larger issues that, that surround sports. Um, and, you know, Desperate brought a, not only a humorous, side to that but really especially when Tommy Craggs took over as editor during my time there um, you know the, the place just got really smart and you know it's, it, it was a really a tremendous place to work and I really enjoyed my time there you know you talked about the right people were sort of reading it and it, it, Steve and I were talking about this earlier when you look at the way that a site like TMZ kind of exploded this whole Ray Rice situation. And it got me to thinking, well, Deadspin had to have been, they, you know, they, they were kind of the first people to take that approach to sports reporting. Mm -hmm. they, they were incredibly influential to the point where you wonder if there was no Deadspin, would there even have been a TMZ? And if there was no TMZ, would there have even been a Ray Rice story? And with this whole thing right. going on in the NFL right now, this 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 storm of of controversy would it even be there right now and and I wonder about that what what are your thoughts on on just the influence that Deadspin had on on sports reporting no i mean i i, I agree completely uh, you know the people who who are you know access journalists who cover sports like myself now you know you're sort of buried in the day to day doing what you do and, you know, the advantage that a place like Deadspin always had by not having that access and not having to worry about compromising that access, uh, you know, or, 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 or pissing off a, a PR person or someone right. like that affiliated with a, with a team or with a league, you can take a, you know, a, a, a much more honest look at what's going on and not feel like, you know, it's going to cost you some, cost you the ability to do your job going forward which is what the problem can be for a lot of people who cover the NFL or cover Major League Baseball or cover the NBA or the NHL. You know, you're sort of you're, – you're dependent upon the people you're covering to be able to cover them. And, and yeah. Deadspin has always taken the approach that we don't need that. You know, we, we can – you know, you can you – can, you know, to me what's been great about the Internet in general is, you know, a lot of blogs and a lot of other sites have, have – Deadspin included have shown that you know you can you can break down now with it you know game rewind and everything you can break down film and watch it again and and use screenshots to sort of show show people you can cover the game almost without ever having to to speak to a player or to a coach you know yep. and and the mentality has always been 
you know, for the, the, the access people, and I find, again, I, I include myself in this, that, that you need to have these, you know, interviews with people and, 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 and with coaches, but, but, but more and more what I'm seeing is that you've got a lot of, you know, a lot of these players and coaches don't want to tell you anything. You know, they, right. they literally, look, <laughs> Geno Smith, look, his job is to, to, to win football games for the Jets, not to talk to me. But when he when he talks to the press, you can just tell every time he's trying not to say anything. He doesn't yeah. want to start a controversy. You know, I mean, there's, <laughs> right. there, it's it's literally as though he's 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 reading from a script or talking points to avoid saying anything that even s- smells interesting. I mean, right. So, you know, the, the access almost like more and more because you know everything. Everything's run by a PR person now, you know, from the league level to the team level on down. That the, the access is is almost meaning less, is almost doing less and less, you know. And and then the, you know, when you're gonna the the scoops and the stories you're gonna break. This is where the Ray Rice thing is really instructive, you know, because a lot of the the reporters who have covered the NFL for a long time and who have all these sources are beholden to those sources, you know, they right. they. they they will pass on the information these sources are giving them because these sources have an agenda, whether they're agents, whether they work, you know, in the, in the front office for a team, whether they're in the league office. They're trying to put out, you know, ordinarily when you see reporting done, they're, 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 they're trying to put out a get information out that is favorable to them. And a lot right. of reporters, for the sake of the access that they get, the scoops they get to get them jobs and things like that, uh, you know, will I, I don't want to say play along because your job is to report the information you're being given. But they 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 have you know kind of passed the information on uncritically. Uh, you know, a lot right. of times, which is you know the, mor- the morning the Rice video came out, you had a lot of people just sort of saying, "I saw on Twitter." Well, the league is denying that they ever saw the video, and I I remember thinking at the time, well, you know, I, I must have read five stories this summer that said that the league had seen the video. Like somebody's not telling the truth here like what, 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 i what? saw it no. i saw it dom the morning that the, the morning that the story broke i happened to be up at 605 in the morning or 615 up with my one-year-old and i happen to be up i'm checking my twitter feed before i jump in the shower i'm listening to boomer and carton they're talking about it the link to that second video was up for like 15 minutes they were up together and I went into work talking about it because the guys were talking about it. I'm like, oh, he's dragging her out of the elevator. I'm like, you should see the video of him in the elevator hitting her. And I wait, I, you saying this was earlier in the yeah, summer? Yeah, yeah. No, this was okay. in February. This was in February, the day that the story broke. Oh, and okay. and Boomer and Boomer and Carton were even talking about it. Craig Carton said, yes, there's more video. It's really bad. It doesn't look good for Ray. All this, I remember listening to the radio and being like, I know. And then I could never, could never find that again, ever. I could never. I, I, I didn't know I that. Feel, I, I feel like I didn't I, know I, that I, video was publicly available even for a short time that far back. You know, I, I, uh, I, unless I'm going crazy pants. And I went into work that morning and I told the guys, I said, "There's another video, and I can't find it." And that's I, my, weird. my, my thinking at the time was that. They released them at the same time, and then they pulled the other one back, like, immediately. You know, like, within five minutes. And maybe I just caught this window or something. I don't know. But the point is, the point that you're making is, is very true when it comes to sources and 
We saw this out of Peter King and, you know, that the whispers were around that people had seen that second video in the summer. Sure. Sure. You know, so you're yeah, talking Chris, about protect, Chris Morten, protecting Chris sources. And, was, yeah, Chris Mortensen was reporting that, you know, she had hit her head, you know, she had, she had been hit and hit her head on the railing and fell. You know, like all right. the stuff that's in the video, reporters were reporting. So then the morning right. this comes out, you have all of these NFL reporters saying that the league, you know, just uncritically saying the league denied that they'd seen it. And then it, it, right. it's just, wait a second, you know, like, like, hold on, you know. Yeah. So, you know, and again, I, I, I it's easy for me to, to, to sort of stand here and, and besmirch a lot of these people. This is the way they've done that job for a long time, you know, and, 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 you know, well, they it, have a lot of skin in the game. They've, yeah. And they right, have a lot of skin exactly. in the game. Yep. They do, you know, you can't yeah. fault like people were destroying Peter King and, and, and that's easy to do, especially if you're a Jeff fan, but you know, the guy's got a lot of skin in the game. You know, he's, he's been cultivating yeah. these sources for 25 years. Exactly. You know, exactly. and and to, to just get rid of them in a day and and basically have his entire Monday morning quarterback column destroyed over this right. is not worth you it. Know. You know, I can't and, kill and the guy for that. And that's and that's the flip side of the whole thing is that you know a lot of these reporters who who are beholden to these sources tend to, on a daily basis, provide a lot of the information that that a lot of you know football fans across the country are consuming, you know, and, and, and they're, they're giving people what they want in that sense. You know, yeah. they're, they, 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 they're news reporters in a sense, but they, you know, they, they just, because they're in the middle of it, they never really get to, 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 to look at the league from a critical view from the outside. I mean, that's Deadspin's right. been writing, Deadspin's been ripping Roger Goodell for, for seven years. This is oh, new. Yeah. You know, yeah. this, this is something that, that, that if you've been – anyone who's been reading Deadspin regularly for the last several years almost could see coming because of the yeah. sort of, you know, the, 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 the power that he had sort of uh, cultivated for himself and, 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 and the control of, 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 of everything, you know, and, and the idea that he, he could do almost anything because this yeah. league was, was so successful – and he was going to run it any way he saw fit. <laughs> that stuff's been, been been written for a long time in places yep. like that's been. Yeah, and we 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 uh, talked about it last week on the show, Dom. One of the things we talked about was this sort of failing model of the NFL, where all the power and disciplinarian action and the you know the sort of judge and jury is contained in one centralized office that can hide behind the shield, that can use the shield. That the model, and it's sort of the professional sports model. Cal said this, you know, Cal said last week, we should have one disciplinarian board for all four professional sports. Like, it'll never happen, but at least you'd get consistency. Like, if you're a hockey player and you beat your wife, and you're a football player and you beat your wife, you get the same thing. You know, like, yeah, you get you know, the same but, amount of punishment and, because the punishment's so inconsistent. Yeah, it's inconsistent because, you know, they instituted this personal conduct policy seven years ago or whatever it was, uh, right. you know, and all that really was, was a way to sort of, you know, overly control what these guys were doing, you know, for, from, from, you know, any, 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 any slight infraction or anything could, could land someone in front of, uh, you know, Roger Goodell, who's playing judge, jury and executioner. So, yeah. You know, when the when the league is paying so much attention to all of these minor things these guys are doing, when they're finally faced with something that's that's serious and something that has always been there. I mean, domestic violence isn't something that 
that just began happening in this country, and it's not certainly not something that just began happening to foot happening involving football players and 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 the women they're dating or married to just just this summer you know but it is right but it but the league you know the league did not approach this properly because they never knew how to because they they just figured they're going to do whatever they want and everybody's going to be okay with it look at the reaction when ray rice was initially punished two games he had a number of commenters wondering aloud whether they were too lenient you know and and and, and yeah. saying that this is the iron fist of the nfl you know because that for people who were again in the middle of all that it looked like well here's another case of of roger goodell bringing the hammer down and 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 you know the nfl's vision of justice when really they've they're kind of flying by the seat of their pants on this yeah no, totally well before we let you go dom and now i want to i want to end on something other than the controversy in the NFL, because we've been talking about it for a couple of weeks. And um, again, thank you for your time tonight. You've been incredibly insightful and we really appreciate it. And I want to go back to something you were talking about earlier where you talked about growing up in Pittsburgh and we had talked about, you grew up as a Pirates fan and I would imagine you grew up as a Steelers fan too. That's true. Yes, I can't deny it. Okay. Um, and that's fine. That's, that's, that's not where I'm going with this. My, my question is, whenever, whenever we have somebody that covers a, a, a professional sports team, I always am curious and, and I'm fascinated to hear how you, growing up as a fan, as a huge fan of these teams, now reconcile being a professional member of the media for another team. And I and I I don't think the paths have crossed for you just yet. They will the this year. The Jets, they will this year. But yeah. I'm I'm just curious to to hear how you deal with something like that. Well, two there's a couple of ways to to look at it. Uh, number one, I never really wanted to do this job in Pittsburgh and have to have to cover any of the teams there. Uh, you right. know, That's because I felt like the emotional connection would have clouded my judgment here. I can be detached and, you know, and, and not yeah. really care, you know, one way or the other way jets go. Oh, and 16, you know, well, I still got stories to write because jets go 16 and 0 win the super bowl. I still have stories to write. That's my job. But the right. other part of it is now that I'm, now that I'm in it, especially, you know, where I'm covering the beat and doing it every day, you sort of get demystified by, you know, any of the aura of, you know, being a, a fan, you know, in the league. Like, you know, I don't care about anything. Like, I, I honestly, because, you know, I still hear it from my, my brothers and my, my uh, you know, my friends back in Pittsburgh. They'll, they'll say things to me about the Steelers. But I'm now that I'm covering the Jets and I'm around a football team and sort of seeing how the sausage is made, it doesn't yeah. really matter to me, you know. Yeah. Like, you, 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 you can't be a fan and do this and, and do it well because you have to be able to look at it you know, look at this team from, you know, and detach yourself emotionally and be objective, uh, you know, win or lose. And I think, like I said, I, I, I try to look at it through the eyes of someone who is a Jet fan and, 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 and understand that that's, that, you know, I'm writing for them. But at the same time, I have an obligation not to be a fan myself, uh, not to be a fan of whether they win or lose, but to try to be as objective as possible, if that makes sense. There's no true objectivity, but just to try to be, you know, as honest with people as possible about what you're covering. And I always, I had always felt it was easier to do um, without the emotional attachment. It was, 
you know, I, I did it in Philly for, for a few years, same thing, you know, so. Right. Uh, that You know, that's where that is. Now, when the Jets play the Steelers, I mean, I've got a job <laughs> to do that day. It's not, you know, right. it's not like you're going to go to NJ.com and start seeing, like, uh, pro Steelers <laughs> articles or anything like that. That's not going to happen. So, it's a business trip. Um, it's a business you trip. You know, I mean, I will. It, might I have family who make the trip that I go say hello to and pose for a few pictures with in the parking lot? That might happen, but it's not going right. to be. It's not going to be where. It's not going to cloud or affect my professional judgment in trying. I, I still have a job to do, you know. So, and the job right. that job's going to get done. That's just the way it is. You're not going to have your Bam Morris jersey on. No, no, <laughs> no, no. Nor, nor my Bobby Brister jersey. Or, uh, yeah, right, your Bobby Brister. Well, that with the one Bobby jersey could work because he play. You know, I know he played for both. Yeah, the yep. shovel, the shovel uh-huh. pass away being in. Uh, yeah, in hey, Jet- Jane, hey well, Joe Name, Joe Name is from Western Pennsylvania. That's Let's right. Not forget sure. that either. So. That's that's probably the. I I should have put that on my favorite books, Cal. That Namath biography by Kriegel. Oh yeah. yeah, it's terrific. Yeah. Oh, it's on. It's really so good. good. It's it really is. Yeah. Well, Dom, thank you so much for your time, man. You've been unbelievably generous tonight, and uh, really appreciate it. So I didn't mean to freak you out on the Central Catholic thing. I took a shot. No, I know a not lot at of- all. <laughs> I mean, I, I, we, we're, I, I, we're about the same to, age, so I might we, yeah. we might know some of the same people. So yeah, we might have to check that out on Twitter because I I still have probably about seven guys that I keep in touch with that went to Central Catholic. Okay, and, uh, about uh, five five more than I keep in touch with so, <laughs> <laughs> at this point in my life. But uh, hey, but yeah, we, you know, very 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 proud to have gone there. It was a great school. It, it it is, and you know, I went to visit a couple times. We went downtown. We had some you know Iron Cities, and and uh, you know, I even I picked up the dialect for the weekend, and you know, I was saying yep. yin yins and stuff like that. People didn't know what the hell I was saying, but um. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, was, it was. It was. Thank you so much for the time, uh, Don. We'd love to check in with you maybe down the line uh, a little later in the season, sure. and um, you know, really keep up the great work. We're really enjoying it. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. I'm glad to do it anytime. Uh, just, just let me know as long as uh, I can, uh, you know, fit it into the schedule tonight. Just happened to be really easy, but yeah, any any time, um, you know, would be great. And, and I appreciate the kind words and uh, thanks for reading. I'm just, you know. It, it, I always get sort of amazed that anybody ever reads anything I write, so it's just nice to know that. Thank you. You got it. Thanks, Dom. Take care. Okay. See you, guys. Bye, Dom. All right. Dom Cosentino. Uh, Just a great job. He writes for uh, NJ Advanced Media, which is nj.com, newjersey.com. You can check out all his and Daryl Slater stuff there. Uh, Beat guy for the Jets. And uh, Cal, he was more than generous with his time, um, but he is doing a great job. He has been a great, fresh voice on the beat. You can tell the sort of dead, spinny feel. You yeah. Know? I, but but without being like a wise ass or without being sort of like, you know, I just, he's got a little different writing style than most of the guys on the beat. And you can also tell that he's new to the beat. Yes. But that's a good thing. That's an excellent thing an incredibly fresh perspective to yeah. his writing and, and he really he really was he was great. And 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 talking about the idea of being detached and never wanting to cover a team in your hometown is really interesting. Like I would I would love or at, there was a time where I wanted to be, you know, on WFAN in New York and you know do sports talk in New York or I think being the voice of a team 
Like, I, if I could be the Mets play-by-play guy on the radio, it would be the greatest thing of all time. I would have that's, no problem doing that. Different. No, no, that. it's, it's entirely different. Whereas writing and covering a team I love, I don't think I want to see how the sausage is made. Oh. And, you know, our buddy Scoot, uh, a good friend of ours, uh, Scoot Wilson, uh, who works for FoxSports.com. But Scoot back in the day, way back in the day, um, Scoot is a huge Devils fan. And he finally got to cover the Devils for, I think it was like the Bergen record. This is 25 years ago or 22 years ago or something. And he hated it. Hated it. Stopped. Quit. Yeah. Quit the job. Because it was ruining hockey for him. Well, it's like, it's it's sort of a deal that you have to make. Yeah. If you're a writer, you, you have to, you kind of relinquish your your rooting interests. And yeah. it's that's not, I can't imagine having to do that. No, I uh, no, I couldn't either. And I mean, I, obviously, obviously, if I had to feed my family, that's a different story. <laughs> Maybe. No, it definitely, it's a completely different story. I love that. I love that expression, as as being the watermark for what you'd be willing to do. What feeding your family? Yeah. Can you not say that when you're single? Well, you don't have a family to feed. But but I still have to feed myself. That's different, though. You're not. There aren't other people responsible for you. You aren't responsible. Please be a beat reporter then, because it's just me. It's just you. You could be. Gotta feed my fish. I gotta. What now? (laughs) That's not. I gotta feed my fish. I gotta feed my birds. (laughs) Thank you, Mike Tyson. (laughs) Um, uh, Let's. uh, Well, let's wrap up uh, this portion of the show, right? Let's move on to the fun mode. I think so. Um, okay, so that is going to do it for uh, the the first portion of the show, episode number 191. Uh, if I can find the exit music coming. revealing how the sausage is made. All buttons. <laughs> episode 191, sausage. With Dom Cosentino. Um, so that's it for episode 191. But stick around. If you're listening live, stick around. We're going to bring in uh, one of PJ's buddies, Raul Fuentes. He hasn't seen Raul since eighth grade. This is the magic of Facebook. <laughs> Raul is going to talk uh, in the fun load about changing teams as an adult. That's going to be the, the thrust of the fun load. Can you change teams as an adult? Can you change rooting it? Didn't I say thrust? <laughs> sure, I can. Is your cat killing you? Is your cat... Tune in at 11. Is your aftershave killing you? Um, So please go check out Dummy the Web Series. Go to YouTube.com and search Dummy the Web Series so you can subscribe to that. Also, uh, this Saturday night uh, at Harden Sammy Bros. 3785 Victory Boulevard, Rock for the Cure, uh, Saturday, September 20th, 9 p.m., $10 cover charge. 100% of the proceeds go to Leukemia and the Lymphoma Society. After Image, a Rush cover band with our buddy Brian Stevens playing drums, only macaroni, on the rock. And, of course, they're just going to come out and take a bow in robes. OBGY Kenobi. So go do that if you're in the Tri-State area. Uh, go to www.rtsports.com and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, check out Dom Con- uh, Cosentino's stuff on NJ.com covers the Jets. For Brian Calvi and BJ Cachopo, I'm Steve San Pietro. Thanks.